Welcome to The Teacher's Story. I'm Jackie Scully. This is a podcast to elevate teacher voice. In this program, you will hear teachers sharing their journey into this profession and their ideas for education. This is about honest, vulnerable, inspiring storytelling. It's a time and a space for teachers to share their ideas for the future of education. Teachers are beautiful beings who give their heart and soul to their community. They're innovators. They're inspirational, not only to children, but to the people around them and they deserve to share their voice. So welcome to The Teacher's Story. Enjoy. Hi, welcome to The Teacher's Story. I'm Jackie Scully, and today we have Mike LaRocco with us. And I met Mike through a mutual connection on LinkedIn. And when we first met on Zoom to get to know one another, uh, we instantly shared our love for psychology. And so I'll give a little bit about background about Mike's background, but I also teach AP psychology, so I'm sure we'll have lots to share in this conversation. So Mike is a major in the Virginia Militia, a licensed clinical psychologist and assistant professor in psychology at the Virginia Military Institute. So thank you, Mike, for being with us today. Uh, Well, thanks, Jackie, for having me on this uh, show. Appreciate it. So kind of uh, my first question is usually just getting right into like, why do you want to get into teaching? But if you want to go a little bit further back about what led you to getting into the military and then maybe how that direction led you into this role into teaching. Uh, sure. Yeah, that, that's a that's a big question. Uh, sometimes I still ask myself what exactly led me to uh, serve in, uh, in the armed services. I, I guess it, it gets back to just wanting to have Uh, wanting to uh, be a cadet at West Point, which was my uh, undergraduate institution. Uh, I was looking for um, uh, what I thought would be a very balanced education with a lot of um, leadership training in in addition to a broad core curriculum. And I think also just kind of a sense of uh, doing something uh, that I thought would be extraordinary and even um, uh, a little bit about um, serving my, my country, I suppose. So I guess when I put it all together, that's something that sort of propelled me to a to a service academy. Uh, so that was a, a bit of a different path into the army uh, as an army officer uh, compared to um, like how some folks might join the military, like through a local recruiter. So this had a different feel and was very much a part of my, um, a part of my education. And, and, uh, and, I, and I, I have no regrets. I thought it was a, um, a really good experience and something that has sort of shaped uh, who I am uh, today. Um, served the the five year commitment um, that West Point and the other service academies have, and that provided, among other things, um, some good leadership experience. You know, serving as an army officer, uh, leading a platoon, and serving other roles. But it also kind of um, awakened me to. Uh, the impact that things like stressors, major stressors uh, can have on people. So you figure uh, deploying to combat, which is mm-hmm. one of the things I did. And just kind of the the rigorous schedule, um, you know, even not when in combat, but the rigorous training schedule that military units go through, that really sort of illuminated the impact of major stressors and, um, you know, how people can be affected by um uh, conditions such as, um, you know, fatigue or maybe something like PTSD or or depression. Uh, but on the other hand, I was also kind of being awakened to um, the role of things like social support and mm-hmm. good leadership and the positive role that can have 
And even in, in um, experiences like combat, just kind of seeing how people can be incredibly resilient and how things like um, positive psychology, although I didn't call it positive psychology at the time, uh, how that can um, sustain people and have them uh, go through um, incredible stressors and, and kind of emerge um, in an adaptive way. It's a little bit ironic because I didn't actually major in psychology in undergrad. I, I majored in German. And so to this day, I feel like mm -hmm. I'm still explaining to people how I became a clinical <laughs> psychologist when I uh, majored in German. Um, but it was my time in, in the army that, um, among other things, uh, made me interested in psychology, just kind of seeing the, the power of, of things like support and, and resilience and, um, and, the, and, and, and the, the mind. Mm -hmm. uh, and I would say that combined with just this um, lifelong interest I've always had of just the mind and the brain and behavior. Yeah, and I love this story of bringing you on is um, very different than other teachers I've had on this podcast because just getting into the work that you've done in the military and how that led you to want to explore more of clinical psychology and as you say, like positive psychology. And you do teach today like leadership and resilience like within your courses. And I think that is a huge part of, we'll talk about this later in our interview of like what I'd like to really see in schools in general is having those types of leadership programs. Um, and again, building resilience because we've all just gone through the pandemic. So we've all experienced a really challenging time. And I think that's something that could be very beneficial for young people. Um, so with going into clinical psychology, what kind of led you to uh, a teaching role or if you want to go into maybe some of your early experiences with getting into this assistant professor role? Yeah, it was kind of a long road. Uh, I wasn't sure at first when I began graduate school that I wanted to teach. Uh, what I was interested in at the beginning was clinical psychology and, um, you know, turning this notion of the mind and, and behavior and my interest in that, turning that into uh, helping people, especially, you know, that being bolstered by uh, how inspired I was when I was in the army by seeing how much um, cohesion and social support and good leadership, how how that can really sort of um, lift people up and inspire them and help them get through incredible stressors. And so what was clear early on was I wanted to carry on that theme in in, in the in the form of psychology. I wanted to help people, but in a way that emphasized um, the power of the mind and mm -hmm. behavior and um, drawing support from others, whether that support was from therapy, but not necessarily that. I mean, the support could come from family, friends, trusted others, and just um, finding ways to um, learn about psychological principles and how that can better the quality of life of people, whether they're getting therapy uh, or not. And so um, that was that was the impetus. And for a while, I thought I might uh, specialize in uh, clinical work. And of course, the you know cl clinical psych doctoral program was the right path for that. But um, as part of our training uh, at the University of Alabama, uh, we would assist in research and do some of our own research, which I'm happy to talk about as well. Uh, but we also um, had a teaching of psychology course, meaning mm -hmm. we had to um, uh, take a course about how to teach psychology, but also actually teach uh, um, mm -hmm. undergrads uh, at the university. And so when I had my um, first sort of forays into teaching, I found it to be uh, exhilarating and very positive and 
I loved the intellectual stimulation. And, and so it really stood in contrast to, I guess, some of the things that I was doing in my clinical training where, um, you know, I would encounter people who were undergoing a lot of stress and needed a lot of help. And of course, I was eager to help them. But in the classroom, there was just this big contrast of um, it feeling more positive and people were were, were there uh, there to learn. And um, it just felt it just to me, it just felt like more of a positive environment where we could all kind of explore things together. Mm -hmm. It's kind of interesting. There were some parallels between uh, therapy and uh, teaching, and this is something that I guess only somebody who's who gets training uh, in that might see. But I guess in both cases, there's the parallel of um, bolstering personal growth mm -hmm. and um, having the humility to learn from you know for both people to learn from each other, whether it's the therapist and client or the teacher and students. And so, uh, in both cases, it's really not about the teacher or therapist just sort of kind of dictating what's going to happen mm -hmm. and lecturing. I found that in both cases, um, it works best when uh, it's a collaboration and um, uh, whether it's the teacher or the therapist, they sort of uh, elicit uh, personal growth, whether, you know, it's whether it's in the form of therapy and doing things that are learning to do things more, that are more adaptive and, and developing insight. Or with students, they might also develop insight in terms of um, awakening their interest in, in the topic and um, learning about how they can use the material for their own benefit. And so I guess this two-way street notion of collaboration and discussion, and even, I don't know, you might want to call it Socratic dialogue or something mm -hmm. like that, that seems to work, uh, work well in both realms. Um, but what I found in the classroom was it just seemed like um, it seemed like there was more excitement uh, to it. Mm -hmm. I guess I guess that's the best way to put it. And so I found that I I found that I liked it, and I wanted to uh, get better at, at at teaching. That's awesome. And I have some connections with just this feeling of wanting to do something positive. My dad uh, was a social worker, and a lot of that influenced me to go into something because he worked with children and youth uh, to work with kids, and um, also this like very much, even though I'm not a trained counselor, but this role of mentorship and being there for kids and a helping kind of profession. So yeah. what were some of your experiences been like um, at the Virginia Military Institute? Any stories or any aha moments or challenges that you would like to share? Well, in terms of teaching, I think it's always a work in progress. Um, it's something that, at least for me, takes a while to fully master. I am um, only an assistant professor right now. I, I've been here for about three and a half years. And so I'm always trying to kind of improve my game. I'm, I'm trying to um, do what I can to get better at discussions and connect more with students. But when I look back to when I uh, first began teaching in the form of a graduate student uh, teaching a psychology course, uh, several psychology courses, um, I think it's fair to say that I've made progress since then. Mm -hmm. You know, I was doing some thinking about this, and I remember how, as a grad student, I had the kind of insecurity of feeling like I needed to be good enough to teach, um, mm -hmm. like I needed to be smart enough or to know enough to be able to kind of take the lead in the classroom and be the and, and be the teacher. Um, and I guess my struggle early on was to be able to. Um, you know, get away from 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 lecturing. So get away mm -hmm. from just trying to demonstrate that I know enough, and instead, 
while still being versed in the material, enable some space for discussion and for the students to kind of see things and talk about things uh, on their own terms. Um, and so one thing that I think I've gotten better at, I guess, among other things, since I began teaching is, yes, I need to be as knowledgeable as possible in the material, but not so much because I then want to kind of dump that all over the mm. students, but instead um, have that knowledge enable me to be to be better at leading a discussion where they see things on their own terms through things like some lecture. I mean, there's got to be some um, uh, communication of, of the material, but then also things like group work, things like shared activities, um, things like... Um, assessments in terms of my leadership course they'll do self-assessments to look at uh, how they would like to get better uh, as leaders and so I find that when I'm at my best and when my class goes um, the best possible it's usually in a way that I didn't really plan yeah. and it's usually in a way in which there was a really good discussion um, as much as I would like to plan a really good discussion they tend to be more organic to uh, the class in a way that I can't really plan because it's usually this interaction among students who might have an interesting question or an interesting comment and then I might say something and then that launches a really um, engaging discussion and what I've learned is the more that I know about the material the better I am able to have that discussion mm -hmm. and facilitate it but I just have to guard against not wanting to just kind of spill it and tell them everything the way I tried to do when I, when I was a graduate student to kind of show how much I learned. And so, so I guess uh, just having that ability to balance the knowledge on my part, and I am, am still having to learn a lot, but balance the knowledge of the material with like creating the space for the students to learn that on their own terms, if that makes sense, usually in the form of discussion. Oh, absolutely. The best lessons, and I was telling him about this, is the ones you don't plan. Like literally, absolutely. it could be a question out of left field or just something that comes up in conversation. You're like, oh, let's take it there. Mm -hmm. And it's super organic. And that's when I've talked about this on um, the show. And of course, this applies to psychology as well. We talked about it a lot when I was in my um, educational psychology course in my grad program but flow, like you mm -hmm. are in this state of real flow when you kind of let go of the reins and you kind of let go of the lesson plan Absolutely. and you just kind of let it be its own entity and you leave that. Everyone ends up leaving it pretty like fulfilled, <laughs> you know, yeah. those are the ones where I have students leave and they're like, thank you for that discussion. And I'm like, you created it. Like this yeah. is not part of my plan. It's a and collaboration. It's a collaboration. And that's when you feel that you're also learning from the students. Yes. You know, and for me, as I get older, the more I can learn from them, I mean, I actually, I'm more into what I do in this career, you know? Um, but I was the same way and I still have those moments where I'm like, I have to know everything and be the expert because I need to have that credibility and, or I don't know what kind of question I'm going to get. So I need to just make sure. And sometimes yeah. it's okay to say, I don't really know. Like I do get questions in psychology. I'm sure you do too. Oh, same. Yeah. Like we were studying the, um, you know, the two hemispheres and the corpus callosum and they're like, was the brain always that way? Or did, like, did something happen through like, you know, evolutionary psychology that like, why do we have to have two hemispheres? And it was like a question yeah. I've never had before. And I'm like, right. I really don't know. Like, I don't know the whole evolutionary 
path of the hominids and like how that's yeah. all developed. But that's a really <laughs> unique and cool question. I, you know, absolutely it throws you off, but you're like, okay, maybe that's something we should look into. Yeah, it's a good example of how questions, you know, even though it can, um, it, it, it forces us to be humble in the moment when we don't have the answer right away. It, it's a way of just contributing to the discussion and, um, you know, chances are, you know, we might, you know, look up the answer so that we can get better for next time, you know, and maybe anticipate a question like that. But I think, I think students enjoy um, having a question that doesn't have a simple answer necessarily mm -hmm. and kind of um, spurs on a further discussion. Yeah. And kind of going back to what you were sharing a little earlier about the research uh, work that you were doing. So does any of the work that you did prior to teaching um, kind of lead into your role as a teacher or are there other things that you would like to explore and do while you're still in this teaching role? So in terms of the, the research relating mm -hmm. to the teaching or? Yeah, that yeah. or like either do you go back to doing that kind of work as well, like on the side of what you're doing? Okay. Yeah, it's both. Um, so the expectation here, and I guess it's, it's pretty similar at most um, colleges and universities is to have some sort of research program, uh, uh, which I do, and much of it deals with uh, the psychology of leadership, um, and some of that was before I began teaching here. Uh, so on the one hand, um, when I teach leadership, and, and to some extent when I teach psychology, I will bring, I, I will mention um, some of the research I've done in terms of perceived leadership among um, military veterans. So mm -hmm. one of the, the main studies I did when I was still at the University of Alabama was um, asking veterans, uh, over 100 combat veterans, uh, to uh, retrospectively rate the quality of leadership they had um, in combat when they when they deployed uh, during their most recent deployment. And I, I was basically measuring uh, transformational leadership, which is this um, leadership approach that drives positive change and uh, tends to be charismatic and inspirational in, in nature and kind of balances the task with uh, supporting your people. And basically that study found um, that the more that these veterans perceived positive leadership, uh, the less likely they were to have um, symptoms of things like PTSD mm -hmm. and depression. Uh, the more uh, the more uh, readjusted um, they, they felt um, uh, after, the, after the deployment. So along several measures of well-being, this leadership seemed to um, uh, associate with uh, with well-being. It, it it didn't prove uh, that you know bad leadership might cause PTSD or depression, but there was a pretty robust uh, statistical um, statistically significant association between better leadership and um, uh, kind of longer term well-being among among these uh, veterans. And so that's one of the things I sometimes mention. Actually, I I mention at least once uh, each uh, each semester that. Um, that good leaders, uh, especially in the military um, and really in other in other uh, fields, you know, re leaders really do uh, make or break situations. They really do um, have the opportunity to support the the well being of their followers. Um, you know, we don't want as leaders and as future leaders, we don't want to fall into the trap of just managing when we should be leading. So, even though management is important for things like control and structure and staffing and planning uh, we don't want the we don't want to make the mistake of only doing that when people expect somebody with a vision and to kind of take things in a new direction and and, and to lead and to and to set the example um and so 
kind of one of the main themes in my leadership course is not just, you know, sort of getting the mission accomplished or the bottom line or running a nonprofit or whatever it is, but also doing the extra behaviors that that these transformational leaders do that go beyond um, short-term results, but also support the long-term well-being um, of, of their people, whether it's resilience, uh, whether it's being able to get through major stressors, or even things like mo modeling positive psychology um, and having a sense of hope and optimism and um, and and and, and uh, confidence, uh, for example. And so I, I think that's something that really adds to my leadership course because they see uh, just how high the stakes are uh, for leaders uh, because they they really do um, um, strongly impact uh, their their followers. Mm, I love that, and I was just thinking because it segues into my next question about the pandemic, and I know how difficult it was to be um, just thinking about my own school, an administrator in a role during the pandemic. Yeah. I mean, you felt like they were literally were doing uh, COVID protocol all the time, right? But mm -hmm. this idea of being able to be a leader in really difficult times and show like almost your own compassion and your own humility and your own also like I guess, influencing the sense of being able to have resilience, like we will get through this, mm -hmm. I think is critical. Like, I think the difficult times really challenge your leadership abilities. Um, mm -hmm. And you can see when someone's a really strong leader and when someone's a weak leader, depending on that challenge that they're going through. So I think those are excellent skills. And this whole study about showing perceived leadership, I love this idea of like, it's your perception too. And like how you see True. yourself. Right. And mm -hmm. you can control that, right? Like you can control the way you see yourself as a leader and you, you hone those skills. And I think there's also humility in that. And when you bring kind of that sense of humanity to your leadership role, and not just like, I'm a leader, I'm in this position of power, I'm an right. authority, or I'm managing all of that, but you have this humanity and humility in it. I think it can help with having resilience through maybe dealing with anxiety and depression and all mm -hmm. of that. So, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. I love that you're able to talk to your students about that. And now, especially during this time. So um, have you been teaching uh, since 2020? Have you been teaching through the pandemic? And if so, what was that like for you? Uh, it was it was a challenge. Um, at VMI, uh, we got back to um, in-person teaching relatively quickly. So we all like everybody, we switched to virtual teaching um, in the spring of, of 2020, right after the pandemic hit. But then we actually went back to in-person um, uh, teaching in the fall, uh, if I remember right, of fall of 2020, although we did everything we could to have social distancing and um, the masks and, every, and everything like that. There were some uh, classes that were a hybrid model where people would... Um, do some teaching over Zoom or some virtual teaching and then some amount of in-person. But um, VMI directed the leadership courses uh, because this was a core course, I suppose. All the leadership courses were 100% uh, in-person. Um, so really my my experience of, of doing the virtual teaching was was pretty, uh, pretty limited, uh, just kind of the, the couple of months or so uh, in the spring of 2020. And I guess uh, lessons learned there were... Um, you know, use the available technology, but maybe not um, overwhelm the students with all the sort of bells and whistles of, of technology. Um, I found that I had to 
make extra effort to be as organized as possible. It, it yeah. seemed like org organization really sort of carried the day for me uh, through the, the virtual teaching um, because you no longer had the structure of the classroom and kind of the the frequent cues and reminders um, that students would get in the classroom. It was just very much one dimensional. And so I found that I, what worked for me mm -hmm. was to give them very frequent reminders um, over email and things like the learning management systems of where we are in the course. You know, let's remind ourselves where we are on the calendar. Here's what's coming up due next. Here's what's due after that. And just being as transparent and I guess, communicative as possible. And the other lesson I learned was to not overwhelm them with um, an amount of work as if it were back in the classroom because everybody is, is in a different place. Um, people have different levels of, of resources and support and time. And so um, I think where a lot of teachers perhaps struggled was when they just assumed that everybody was just as capable of the same workload. Mm -hmm virtually as they were in person. And I found that I had to kind of dial that back a little bit combined with lots and lots of organization and communication. And somehow we survived uh, in my, my leadership course that I was teaching um, at the time. And then when I got back into the in-classroom format, I learned to hold on to some of those added technologies to do more things over the learning management system to kind of facilitate ease of grading and mm -hmm. quick turnaround um, and, and ease of submission of assignments on, yeah. on Canvas, which is what we use, but then still um, having that personal and social component of being back in the classroom. Did you find, because again, I was in the same boat, I was, we were virtual in the spring 2020, and then we did hybrid, um, mm. but we were in person in some way for that following school year. So we were pretty fortunate compared to a lot of other secondary schools. Mm -hmm. um, but teaching psychology during, especially the height of the pandemic was really interesting. Did you find like some of the things that you just teach in your curriculum were just aligning with the time and like the conversations you were having with your students in that class? Well, I was not yet teaching psychology when that mm -hmm. happened. I'm only uh, reteaching psychology uh, now, uh, intro psych, uh, as of this fall. Okay. The last time I had taught intro psych was mm -hmm. when I was a grad student, uh, well before the pandemic. But in terms of leadership, um, I, I suppose there were some parallels there. And um, I'm just trying to think back. I think things like um, authentic leadership, which, which is one of the approaches I teach, uh, and especially servant leadership, uh, which mm -hmm. is also part of the course, uh, this notion of um, empowering your followers, like placing your followers first, yeah. leading from a place of humility, uh, so rather than taking a sort of uh, top-down role and directive role, instead um, treating followers as individuals, um, taking uh, a lot of interest in their uh, in um, in their perspectives and what their goals are, that was something that helped me as a as a teacher mm -hmm. um, during the pandemic to kind of meet people where they were and no matter what their struggles were, to do what I could to help them get through this virtual format during the stressors of the pandemic. But then also um, the students, because it was a leadership course, they were learning this as a really valuable mm. uh, technique to take this follower-centric and follower-empowering approach. Because I guess one of the sort of, I guess, almost magical things of this servant leadership approach is that it, it's an incredibly humble way of leading where 
you start from wanting to serve, not so much necessarily being a leader. You just are interested in helping people, but people are so inspired by your role and maybe your message and uh, how empowering that leader is that people will will basically walk through walls for you and they'll do so much more Mm -hmm. than they would have done uh, otherwise. And so that can be an incredibly powerful way to lead that that can really uh, transform people so this is not to say that i was a servant leader during my my (laughs) virtual teaching but but teaching about that approach and others i think um um really helped um engage even more interest among my my students yeah i could see that being a huge benefit in going through like a really difficult time like i i used so much from our psychology class to Mm -hmm. have these conversations like i remember even we were studying social psychology at the time so it was like almost perfect to talk about oh, like, collective societies versus individualistic societies. I'm like, well, yeah. we can see that right now going on with how America's dealing with this compared mm-hmm. to some other, like Absolutely. when it was the height. And, uh, but just also, I think, you know, and I think in a leadership class as well, when you have the dynamic of that type of curriculum, it allows for more open conversations and discussions. Mm-hmm. And you really needed it at the time, particularly when you were virtual to just be able to connect with one another. Mm-hmm. And, Servant leadership is something I'm seeing a lot. Like I'm seeing a lot of people use this um, and even having it as like a title, like as part of like their mission or career. So I also was thinking as you're talking about it, like I love this idea, but I wonder if like, I wonder if it's going to get overused too, because I see a lot of people like on LinkedIn. The term does get used a lot. A lot of big corporations endorse it as well. And so you you just have to kind of drill down and and see what they mean by servant leadership. But presumably it means something like uh, putting your followers first and um, empowering that way, empowering them that way, which, which then translates uh, to the bottom line or, or whatever the, whatever the outcomes are, whatever the goals are. Yeah, that's great. Um, for my last question, and we've kind of been talking about your, you know, your leadership um, class that you have, but also maybe like broader looking at how education in America um, can be improved, any ideas that you have. I know you're at the college university level, but that you could see maybe within our whole you know, educational system, maybe applying what you do with leadership and seeing how that could be maybe implemented at the secondary level or throughout school? Any ideas you'd like to share? Well, that's a really tough question. Uh, it's definitely a hot topic and a very important topic. I, I would, I guess, just start by saying um, uh, empowering uh, teachers and mm. uh, respecting uh, the profession, um, giving them the the time and the resources to do what they've uh, been trained to do, um, getting away from things like uh, teachers who are uh, overworked and underpaid and um, you know, maybe teachers who are suffering from so many others who are who are leaving the field and they're being more and more um, sort of tied up in, in, in other tasks. And so I guess if there's a way to just, you know, have better pay for teachers, um, um, give them um, sort of better, um, connect them to the resources they need and uh, enable them to kind of run their class and kind of shine the way they absolutely can. Mm-hmm. I think that's one major step forward. Um, uh, for teachers, um, I think through, uh, you know, primary school, middle school, high school, uh, and then uh, at that level, and then also, I, I guess, at the college level, um, doing things like, um, yeah, empowering the students and um, 
making it personal to them. Mm -hmm. So what I sometimes say is making the making the class or making the material both personal to me and personal to the students. So personal to the students uh, might be something like helping them see how the material can directly uh, benefit them. So if it's leadership, for example, what I do is I try to have the course um, be a, a kind of self-directed learning course where from uh, the from early on in the course, students are asked to think about what their goals are for the class. Like, what do they want to get out of this class in terms of leadership? How do they want to uh, become better leaders? And so from that, I have them frequently revisit those goals and sort of discuss and write about how this course is helping them address those goals. That way they have a, kind of a greater sense of self-directed learning and mm -hmm. kind of a uh, more of a sense of purpose in the course rather than sort of passively being yeah. told what uh, perhaps the teacher thinks is, is supposed to be important from the course. So that kind of ownership of the learning, the self-directed learning, the personalization of the learning really helps um, in the leadership course. And to some extent, this, when I teach psychology, so, you know, how can the, how can the course directly benefit them? And I think you and I uh, agree that psychology is very much a, a broad science with, with uh, enormous application. And so, mm -hmm. among many, many other things, uh, just talking about something simple, like the connection the connections among uh, exercise and diet and sleep, um, you know, for example, if somebody gets a little bit of exercise, uh, chances are they will uh, sleep uh, better uh, that, that evening. If they um, are healthier and are sleeping well, chances are that will boost their mood, uh, which has all sorts of positive effects. Chances are they'll, they'll, they'll concentrate better and can uh, perform as a student uh, more effectively. And so, how intervening in one area like mm -hmm. sleep, you know, or, you know, the diet or, or exercise or mood, how that can have so many uh, effects on so many other domains. So just something like that um, on the psychology side, how, how that can really uh, immediately apply to them. So, so the personalization of the learning for the students, and then I would just add personalization of the class and the, the teaching for me, if it's leadership, I talk about some of my own experiences and mm -hmm. how that really gives me passion in terms of um, teaching about transformational leadership or servant leadership. I'll, I'll talk about some of the, the great leaders I was lucky enough to have uh, when I was in combat and other other uh, times of my life and why that's meaningful to me. And I think when students see that, you know, they can tell when teachers are enthusiastic. And yeah. so that can be um, infectious in the, in the classroom. And so um, I think it just makes the material uh, resonate a lot more. And then when, when I'm teaching psychology, psychology, I'll talk about some of my training as a clinical psychologist, uh, which is, I think, one area that they're often very interested in anyway. And so, you know, like in a de-identified way, I'll talk about some cases I, I, I had and how that really kind of adds, um, you know, makes it much more vivid when I talk about something like PTSD or depression or something like that. And so uh, that's how I might personalize that, uh, you know, talking about my own training. Yeah, I think these are great ideas. I think with students, they need to see it connected to their life, you know, Absolutely. and I'm teaching 16 to 18 year olds. So if you really want them like <laughs> focused tough. and engaged in the class, yeah, you need to try to make it as relevant and give a lot of choice. I talk about this a lot that I believe students need more choice in the types of courses that they're taking. Of course, when they get to the college and university level, they have that, you mm -hmm. know, but in even still traditional secondary programs, they might not get a lot of choice until their senior year. And so, you know, I love to see more of that student input and voice within their curriculum that they want to, you know, take. And then within that class, I love this idea of 
what are your goals? What are your questions? Mm -hmm. Like, what do you want to achieve in this course? And I could even see that this might be something I want to apply to my history class because I teach a senior level AP psychology. They're, they want to be there, right? They had to mm -hmm. test into it. There's a lot of motivation. I teach a world history class that is like, I have to take it, right? So right, yeah. very different motivation. And I give a lot of choice, but I like the idea of starting the course of, and I know some of them would be like, I'm not a history student. I don't want to be here. I just have to be here. But like, you're here. So what are some of the goals? Like, what are things that you could take away in this kind of history mm -hmm. class? Like, here's generally what we're going to study, but like, there'll be a lot of choice because then there's ownership and they have autonomy and they feel Absolutely. like they're driving the, you know, the, the ship and like, they can move it anywhere they want to go. And I like the teacher being more flexible with that, you know, and our role is to kind of, this is easier said than done. Cause another thing I've talked about is in the public school system and I've taught in the public school system, the classes are huge. You have mm -hmm. like 30, 30 plus kids in a class. You might have 150 on your roster. Oh, wow. It's really hard to make it individualized. But if schools have smaller classes, like I'm fortunate in my independent school, you can work on st with students one-on-one -on -one mm -hmm. and give them more choice and say, here's the goals that you have. Let's meet and talk about like where you're at and kind of do more individual assessment of your process right. and not just like you're all taking the same test or you're all doing the same essay. Um, cause I, I see that's where education needs to go, but it's structurally at the public school level, it, they need to somehow reduce class sizes, which would also help with teachers having more time to do the work they want to do, um, and really, you know, hone it as a craft and not just yeah. be checking boxes of like, these are all the things I have to do. I really appreciate these ideas. Uh, before we end here, is there anything else you want to share about your work your ideas or anything about your, um, how you would like maybe people to connect with you or the work that you're doing? Um, I would just say that I really enjoy what I do. I think um, it's worked, um, I've been fortunate in, in that it's worked well for me just having a background in, in the military and then teaching at an institution where, um, you know, that emphasizes uh, military culture and training. And then um, I think that the, the teaching of leadership um, helps my teaching of psychology and my teaching of psychology helps my mm. um, teaching of leadership. One of the things that I say in my leadership course is that um, psychologically informed leaders, you know, they don't necessarily have to be psychologists, of course, but, yeah. but if they have some understanding of the human condition and, and think about what motivates people and uh, how to do things like build cohesion and um, uh, inspire change, I think that's, that's very psychological in nature. And so um, leaders who have that psychological insight, um, uh, tend to be uh, quite effective. And so I just consider myself fortunate mm -hmm. to be at a place where I can bring in the clinical background, uh, the military background, and my leadership research and kind of turn that into um, an interactive class in both of my uh, classes that I teach. And so, um, I, yeah, I'm just happy to, glad to be in this profession, uh, even though it's a challenging profession. And I just really appreciate the opportunity to, to speak with you. Thank you so much, Mike. This has been such a joy and thank you for your service. Great to also hear that part of your journey. So thank you. Right, thank you, Jackie. I appreciate this opportunity. Have a great day. Bye. Bye.
Thank you for listening to The Teacher's Story. If you like this story, please subscribe and leave a review. You can also follow this podcast on YouTube and subscribe and leave a comment. All reviews help this podcast keep going and elevating teacher voices. 